All right, are you ready to hear God's word and be taught a little bit before we go out into the world and do kingdom work? Get your Bibles out. I'm going to be reading in just a moment out of John's Gospel, chapter 15. And uh, we're going to begin a new series today on the Holy Spirit. We've entitled it Understanding the Holy Spirit in the Believer's Life. And uh, we just put the catchphrase up, playing with dynamite. Playing with dynamite. And we're going to uh, mention to you here in just a moment as to why that all fits together. But as we get this series started, I just wanted to let you know, and, and perhaps this morning has more anecdotal stories attached to it, and, and we will get into some, I'm sure, doctrinal things along the way. But you know, my greatest, and I just want to put it out there, my greatest uh, desire and my expectation in God is this for these next four weeks is that you experience the Holy Spirit. You know, we can know a lot about a person. We can know a lot about doctrine, the Bible. All these things have their place. But until you experience God, I'm not sure you really can fully understand Him. And, and so my prayer has been that the Lord would turn uh, this part of the mall into an upper room. And that somehow, some way. Uh, and we'll talk more about all that that would mean, but that somehow, some way, he would, he would invade us and that we would experience the power of the Spirit. And so that's kind of been my eye. I feel like that's what the Lord is wanting to do. He's wanting to encounter his people. And so um, I just thought it'd be good after Easter to talk about the Holy Spirit. I just think it's in order and it's a good season to do that. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood and neglected person of the Godhead. You know that in the Godhead there is Father, there is Son, and there is Holy Spirit. And, you know, we probably know a lot about the Father. We pray oftentimes our Father. In fact, those of you that grew up in a formalized uh, uh, religious background may even have learned the Lord's Prayer, which starts out, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so, so we mention the Father, and of course, Jesus is the reason, the centrality of our faith and his death on the cross, his resurrection. But in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, I believe the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood and neglected person of the Godhead. And we need to understand right up front that without the Holy Spirit, we would have none of the blessings, none of the resource, uh, none of the things that has been provided to us by God we would have none of these things unless we also had the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who applies. I like to use the term uh, uh, the executor, not in the sense that he, you know, he's killing you. Although, you know, I've, you know, if you're crucified with Christ, I guess you have been killed. But, but he executes, he administrates all the provision of the Godhead in the earth right now in your life. So if you want... If you want a blessing, if you want something of God to happen in your life, who brings that to you? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings these things to you and all the provision of the cross. Now, I believe the cross provides everything. The cross is, is central and critical. And the power of the cross is brought to us because of the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is how I like to put it. The Holy Spirit is the only person in the room right now that's eternal. 
What that means is, is that you and I, if Jesus does not return, you and I have a death date out there somewhere. So we're limited. We're temporal. So, so we have only the ability to work within the confines and the limitations of who we are as human beings. Anything that we access on our own, we have to access right now. Time and space is right now. If, if I want... If I want a glass of water or something like that, I would have to call a timeout to the message. I would have to walk to the kitchen, open up the fridge, get me some bottled water, and that's how it works. If I need some sort of provision because of my limitation, it is here and it is now, and I've got to do it at the moment because I'm a human being. When you're eternal, you're not constricted by these things. The Holy Spirit has the ability, and this is what is so cool, and that is no matter how we end service today, and we've already had opportunity to be ministered to, to be healed, but no matter what it is that we want from God, this is what's cool about the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that because he's eternal and he's timeless, he's without limitation, he's constricted by nothing on earth, he is God himself. The Holy Spirit can literally rush back in time, close to 2,000 years, and he can go to Golgotha's hill. And he can, one more time, scoop up the blood of Jesus. And he can run his way up to Legacy Church on May the 1st, Sunday, 1048 a.m., 2011. And as those people gather in the name of Jesus at an altar of a church, crying out for healing, crying out for deliverance, crying out for provision, crying out for answers, crying out for solutions. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes into the place and opens up His arms, so to speak, and causes the blood at that moment to become effectual in our midst. Just as if Jesus had died on the spot. He's the one that brings it up to us and makes it contemporary. He's the one that can run into the eternal realm, into heaven itself, into the kingdom, and begin to pull out of the kingdom peace and joy. And if you're needing peace and joy, how do you get that? Well, the Holy Spirit grabs peace and joy out of the bank accounts of the kingdom in heaven, and He begins to loose it into your life. Now, that's, that's as simple of an explanation as I can give you. And that's why, that's why there's this... We call it splash over. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's as if the eternal realm is splashing over into our temporal existence. And we get to taste. And we, and we get to experience. And, and, and again, because of our humanity, it's in a limited fashion. But we get to taste and we get to experience ourselves what we will one day in, enjoy uh, in perpetuity, in completion, forever. I'd say the Holy Spirit was pretty important, wouldn't you? I mean, he can't be neglected. As a matter of fact, he ought to be honored. He ought to be honored. Now, Jesus said many things about the Holy Spirit. And most importantly, that when he left, Jesus said, I'd not leave you orphanless. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you by yourself, but I'm going to send you another one. In fact, the word he uses, I put it on the screen overhead. Many of you will recognize the word. It's, it's parakletos. It comes from the Greek. It's actually two Greek words they jam together. Para, para meaning around. Kletos is a form of kaleo. 
which means to call, the one who's called around you, the one who's called alongside. He said, I'm going to send another that will be alongside of you. Sometimes that word is translated in different ways. It's interesting. They, they don't have an exact translation of it. Sometimes it's translated helper. The Holy Spirit would be a helper. Sometimes it's advocate. Sometimes it's counselor. Sometimes it's comforter. Sometimes it's intercessor. Sometimes it's attorney. All of these words can be derived from the Greek word parakletos. And so what Jesus does with his disciples is, he says, I'm going to send you the parakletos. And it opens up to them this unlimited thought, this unlimited moment that there, would, there was going to be someone who would come that would, be, that would have incredible impact and influence in their life. Most incredibly, Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit would come, that he would give us, the scripture says, power. Now, this isn't my text. I hadn't got there yet, but, but we'll get back to this verse. But I just want to mention it real briefly. Acts 1, verse 8. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he goes on to say what will happen. You'll begin to be witnesses in all sorts of arenas and geographies of life. You shall receive, Jesus says, power. That word for power is where we get the title of our series. It is the word dunamis. Dunamis is the Greek word. Now, there's four words for power, four of them, in the Scripture. And so, and so if in the inspiration happening, the word was chosen dunamis in order to explain power, I think it's very important that we would understand it. Because dunamis means energy, might, great force, or great strength. But you will receive energy, you will receive might, you will receive great force, great strength when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, dunamis. And yes, it is, if you follow its etymology, yes, it is where we get the word dynamite. Jesus says there's something explosive that will happen when the Holy Spirit moves in your life. He gives you an explosive ability to live out the gospel and to do the work of the ministry of his kingdom. Now, if you want to know what explosive ministry looks like, that's why we have the book of Acts. Because if you look at the book of Acts, it's really not the Acts of the Apostles, it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And you see the explosive work of the Holy Spirit in, in salvation. The first day the Holy Spirit shows up out of the upper room, 3,000 people get saved. That's some meeting, isn't it? Two days later, 5,000 families come into the kingdom. I call that explosive. There were explosive miracles. Lame people sitting at the temple gate, crying out, being lame for decades. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. How could he do that? How did it happen? It's because the explosive greatness of the Holy Spirit was working inside of him. Now, we see these explosive works and happenings of the Holy Spirit, but truth be told, the ministry of the Holy Spirit has blown up more than a few churches and ministries as well. When the Holy Spirit shows up, there's a lot of exploding going on. Now, here at Legacy, we honor the Holy Spirit. We don't have that difficulty because we've just said it within our culture and within our values that we honor the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you, and I will tell you several stories, that when the Holy Spirit shows up, He's not always welcome. 
in the places he shows up. In the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about him, not just in this area, but I'm going to talk in, in numbers of areas. But I, I need to start this morning with the lesson that I've entitled, Setting the Stage for the Holy Spirit. Setting the Stage for the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus really spent a lot of time preparing the disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. I want to read to you just a few of these verses in uh, John's Gospel, beginning with chapter 15, verse 26. John 15 and 26. And uh, listen to what he says here as he begins to prepare them for this one who will come that will help them. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It reads like this. But when, verse 26, John 15, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now he continues in context to talk about the Holy Spirit. Just because there's a chapter break, there's not a thought break here. He says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. What he says is, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, but I'm going to tell you some stuff because if I don't tell you this stuff, you could stumble. What that says to me is that there are, are people and possibilities who will stumble over the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's continue reading. What, what will they do? Well, listen to this. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Yeehaw. Verse 3, And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. I want to stop there. We could literally read the chapters 14, 15, and 16, all three of these chapters. Jesus is preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. A lot of things he has to say. But we just want to set the stage. Jesus is beginning to set the stage for this ministry. And Jesus said, he said, it'd be to our advantage that he would come. It'd be advantageous that the Holy Spirit was operating in our life. He enumerates many things. He says that there'll be conviction. There'll be guidance. When the Holy Spirit comes, if I continued to read to you verses, it would tell us that, that the Holy Spirit reveals the future. He gives you peace. He gives you joy. He gives you authority. Hey, who here in the room wouldn't like to know some of the details concerning the future? Isn't that true? I would. I mean, who here wouldn't want their peace and their joy? How many of you here are, are looking at big decisions and you'd like a little guidance in your life? I mean, you've you got to have the Holy Spirit to bring these things to you. And Jesus said when he came, this would be to your advantage. But as he mentions all of this good stuff, he sets the stage for those early disciples by telling them that there's going to be a reaction. Everyone say reaction. <laughs> reaction. There'll be a reaction to the coming of the Spirit. And they are to be sure they don't stumble over it. Now, I just want to go back. I'm going to put it on the screen. Chapter 16. Those three verses. Let's go with verse number two real quick. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming. That whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Now, I'm going to stop there. I'll just, I'll just stop there. I want you to get the context of this. 
You receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, buckle up. They, they are going to embrace you everywhere. They, they aren't going to clap and say, yeehaw, when you come in and say that you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, he says this, that they're going to be people, and, and we, can, we can parse this in, in numbers of ways, but I'll just try to be as simplistic as possible. He says there are people who will say they know God, love God, are in tune with God, and the minute you tell them that the Holy Spirit's working, they're going to whether physically kill you or whether just reputationally kill you, they aren't going to be real pleased with what God's doing by the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, for those of you, and, and some of you are here in this congregation that have been around, you know, Pentecostal churches or full gospel churches, charismatic works, you've been perhaps around these works uh, your whole life. Legacy has its roots in Pentecostalism and the charismatic renewal. So if you didn't know what you tripped into today, I'll just be up front, truth in advertising. Yep, we are that. We are that. We, we want to follow what God's up to as it conforms with this scripture. I'll get to that in just a moment, too. But those of you that perhaps, particularly back in the 70s or the 80s, 1970s, 1980s, looking at all my... Friends here on the front. I know. I know all these ladies on the front. They weren't even born. Some of them, then probably. They, they just going. Yeah, he's telling his old stories that dates me. But I remember getting filled with the Spirit, and and, and folks weren't real thrilled. I mean, we're talking church folks. Well, I'm not talking about the world. You know, the, the world will reject you once you come to terms with Jesus. But then you start pursuing God, and want everything God has for you you'll begin to find out that there are those that would say they're Christian and that all of a sudden, yeah, we want you to be Christian, but we didn't want you to be a fanatic. Following me? Yeah, we're glad you're saved, but we didn't want you to sign up for like zealousness 101. And that's how some folks begin to treat you. You know, it's like, why do you have to be so, you know, so? And you've heard it like I've heard it. You get gigged about when do the snakes come out? I'm just kidding. My view is the only good snake is a dead snake. Exactly. Go back and read that passage. It says, if you. So I always say if. There's not even going to be an if in my life when it comes to snakes. So. But you've gotten all that. You've gotten your bizarre, your crazy, your this, your that, your all the rest. They are not... They are not happy about what's going on. I grew up, I grew up in, you've heard the stories, a, a holiness church. Um, it was a denominational church. Uh, they would give lip service to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would, would be honored to a point. As long as they could keep understanding what was coming out of your mouth, it was probably okay. But the minute it turned to something they didn't understand... It was shut down. And I'll just share this with you. I don't share this, but uh, in, in any way to, to besmirch. I know many, many good people that function within that denomination, but this is no joke. You could literally embezzle from the church, you could have an affair on your wife, and you could be restored. But if you ever spoke in tongues, that was the scarlet letter for the rest of your life. It was like they put a big T on your, on your tongue. You can never trust him anymore. He talks in tongues. 
And that was kind of what I grew up in. So the moment God started dealing with me at a deeper level and a greater level, I had to deal with all of this stuff. And when and when the Holy Spirit filled me up, now listen to me, I had been a Christian since I was 18 years old. I had been a pastor since I was 24 years old. But it was about when I was 29 years old that the Holy Spirit and I had this encounter. And I went to this other place in Him. Now, did I love God? I'm sure I love God. Do I think I was saved? Yes, I believe I was saved. I'm not getting into all the doctrinal intricacies of it yet. All I'm saying is, is that just because you're saved doesn't mean you suddenly sit on your couch and you just sort of sovereignly wait for God to do whatever He wants. You're supposed to be up and pursuing Him. And so I was just one of those Christians that's up and pursuing. And I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, these explosive things started happening in my life. We're talking miracles and, and dramatic happenings and there was joy and all sorts of good stuff was going on. But can I share this with you? That in the midst of all the good stuff, there was another explosion. Every person that I'd gone to school with to study for the ministry. Every, listen to this. Every, every person that stood with me in my wedding, all of us were studying for the ministry. All of us were ministerial candidates. All of them were. Every single one that stood with me in my wedding turned their back on me the minute the Holy Spirit started operating like that in my life. Now, I thought it was bad that when you receive Jesus, you lose all your worldly friends. And now, Holy Ghost, I get you and I lose all my church friends. It's not exactly like advertising we want to let out. Yeah, come, come walk with the Lord. Lose everybody that's important to you. That's great advertising, isn't it? Makes you want to sign up for the journey, doesn't it? But truth be told, that's what it was. And it's because, let me tell you, anytime something passionate happens in your life, what happens is the non-passionate get nervous. Because it confronts them and convicts them on their lack of passion. And so what happened is I lose the friends of a lifetime. I, I, I can't, you know, I use the term kicked out of a church. I, it, it was a mutual understanding that we weren't going to be able to do this together. Pulpits were closed to me, all because, hallelujah, of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that good news? Got good news for you. There are, there are, there are some things that are going to happen in your life uh, that are, that are going to be challenging and tough. Can I just say this? This is what I think. I think the reason that happens is because you're either going to lock in to the Spirit of God's work in your life, or you're going to walk away from Him. I believe there's favor, and I believe favor will come. But, but I believe there's some important things that happen in those early moments. And the Holy Spirit did all of these things in my life. Now, now the Holy Ghost has, you know, produced no small measure of controversy. Everywhere you look where the Spirit of God has moved, there's always controversy that springs up. Do you understand at Pentecost there was controversy in the Scripture? They come out of the upper room, and instantly everybody in the string street thinks the people are drunk. It's, they're all drunk. It's only what? Only nine in the morning and they're drunk. So there's instant controversy. 3,000 people get saved, 5,000 a couple days later, heads of family get saved. And now all of a sudden the religious system is being challenged because they're losing 
They're losing. See, they don't give a rip about people. They just gave a rip about how much money was coming in. I, I can tell you what was going on. And they're losing their people to this movement that's going on over here. And all of a sudden, there's this controversy. They call, they call two of the disciples in. Uh, to have a discussion with the Sanhedrin, they forbade them to speak or preach in the name of Jesus, which is where we find the Acts 5.29 verse, which says, I must obey God rather than man. It wasn't that they were just rebelling against authority. We teach this. We believe that you honor authority and that in as much as it is possible, you obey authority. But if authority tells you to do something that violates the will of and the word of God, and they told these disciples that they could no longer teach or preach in the name of Jesus. How many of you know you can't obey that? So they said, we must obey God rather than man. And so the scripture tells us that they decided they were going to cut them loose. But before they cut them loose, they were going to whip them. They were whipping them because they were preaching, teaching, and doing miracles in Jesus' name. They whipped them. How many of you can say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking me to my first flogging? But listen to what they did. The scripture, go read it. In Acts 5, it says that when they were loosed, it says that they rejoiced. And, and they said that we rejoiced because we were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Hallelujah. You see, we think that we give God praise just when it's all going good and we're favored. Every now and then, you need just some good old persecution to happen to you so you can walk out of that situation, go jump back in your car, you'll be hurt for a moment, but then rise up and say, Hallelujah, there's enough of the Holy Ghost inside of me that it still solicits a tongue whipping. We are just wimpy, wimpy believers. But that's what the Holy Spirit will do. Pentecost. The Holy Spirit moved. You know, everything was centered in Jerusalem, but they all locked in. So then the Holy Ghost had to go move in Antioch, the Scripture tells us. And then he moved amongst the Gentiles. They weren't even Jews. So there's this big upheaval. Can these Gentiles even be saved? And so they argue over the issue of circumcision. And are they, do they have to become Jews before they can become Christians? And then there's this big Acts 15 controversy. And the whole thing revolved around the moving of the Holy Spirit. Most people don't understand why there are Catholic churches and why there are Eastern Orthodox churches. Do you understand that the reason those two Eastern and Western churches split in 1054 was because they were arguing over the Holy Spirit? And so Eastern churches went this way. Uh, Western churches, Catholic, Roman Catholic churches went this way. It all happened over the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that Luther and the Protestant Reformation got that whole uproar started because he believed that the Holy Spirit quickens the hearts of men in order to bear witness to them that they are saved by faith in God and God alone. And the whole thing started this Protestant Reformation. And it, that's the Holy Spirit. Every awakening that's ever come across America, I will assure you, there was controversy associated with it. I believe it was Spurgeon who wanted to go into the Boston area and preach. And uh, Lyman Beecher was a notable pastor in the Boston area. And he literally said in the newspaper, he said, I will meet him at the city line. And we'll see if he brings this awakening to this city. Started a controversy. 
Now, gratefully, Lyman Beecher got an experience with God, and he ended up helping to facilitate the move of God. But, but, but listen to me. Anytime you choose to pursue God in a deeper measure, just hear me. Hear me now. There's going to be little controversies that can spring up. Pentecostals at Azusa Street stirred up controversy. The Charismatics, to this day, still stir controversy. Why are we surprised when we tell people we're going to a spirit-filled church and they look at us like, Even religious people. Jesus said, get ready. They're going to try to kill you. And as they're doing it, they're going to say, we're doing God's work. We're, we're killing you, but we're, this is the Lord. Hallelujah. They won't say hallelujah. They probably won't say amen. They'll say amen. Amen. Now, why is this? Why, why, why do people get nervous? Why do people get upset? Why do people get twisted over the present work of the Holy Spirit? I'm just setting the stage. Just setting a stage. We're going to spend several weeks here. I think there are three primary reasons. Number one is unusual manifestations. When the Holy Spirit shows up in dunamis power, there can be at times unusual manifestations. Now, let me just say this. Is, does that surprise us if this, if this all-powerful, infinite, amazing, eternal God suddenly shows up and wants to interact with this limited, finite human being? Does that really surprise us that there could be some unusual moments if such a scenario exists? Or is your God simply theoretical? See, I believe he is alive. See, last week I was celebrating a real live God. He's active and present in the world through the Holy Spirit. And, and it should not surprise us that as he interacts with us, there, there are things that can happen. For instance, you know, people, tears. My wife, my wife is, when the Holy Spirit shows up, she gets tears. That's just... The manifestation of God in her life. It's also, i just stop here and say this, it's amazing how we allow certain manifestations, but others we're not so sure about. If you don't like manifestations, then why don't we just stop them all? Well, the reason being is because you wouldn't go that far. Nobody wants to go that far, and tears are probably acceptable. I've seen people literally, they've literally, uh, under conviction, had, had a shaking that, that was taking place because they were under conviction by the Holy Spirit. I've had people tell me that when God was speaking to them, their heart would begin to palpitate and pound for no discernible reason, except that was the Holy Spirit working in their life. I've had folks with unexplainable joy. There are, there are those that have been slain. We call it being slain in the Spirit or being overcome by the presence of God. Certainly there is the expression of spiritual language, what we were talking about earlier, tongues. I mean, there's all sorts of manifestations, some I suppose we, we easily accept others we aren't so sure about. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer here for myself. I believe that God can and at times will manifest in unusual ways. Around here, we embrace that possibility. But here's the deal. This is how legacy works. God can do anything he wants. We'll accept any manifestation that God chooses to bring. Here's the deal, though. Some manifestations are nothing more than the flesh. And, and we'll discern that if it's fleshly. If it's God, obviously, it can be released. But the bottom line here is this. I don't care how long you lay on the floor. I don't care how long you speak in tongues. I don't care how many hours you supernaturally last. 
I don't care how many visions you've gotten, how many trances you've been in. I don't care how much of all these manifestations happen in your life. When it's all said and done, has it caused you to live right with God? I had a professor in school one time. I liked him. He said, I don't care how loud you shout. I just want to see how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. Unusual manifestations. How many of you know it can weird you out? I've been in this thing for over 20 years now. I could tell you stories that would make a bald man's head curl. And some churches I know, some churches in circles a lot like ours, they foster a religious sideshow. I'm not here for a sideshow. I'm here to see transformation take place. I want God to move more than anyone here. But I've seen religious sideshows. I'm not buying tickets for that anymore. I'm buying tickets for the real deal. Have people fallen and been slain in the spirit here? Yep, we have, but we don't push them down. And a lot of times we don't even have catchers. I figure if God takes you out, he'll catch you on the way down. So don't, don't, we used to call them courtesy drops. Don't you give me a courtesy drop. It may hurt. But you know why that is? There are weird things that happen, and can I just share this with you? That became the context as to why many seeker, what we call seeker churches, developed. Because there were these weird things that happened, and it would weird people out. And so in order to reach people, the philosophy was in order to reach people, let's, let's just try to cut out the sort of dramatic or weird stuff in as much as it's possible, because we don't want to alienate anybody from... You know, receiving the Lord and receiving the gospel. And so let's just, you know, I, I think it started out well intended. Like we'll put it on Wednesday night or we'll put it at another time or we'll let it happen in the small groups. And what happens is, is what, what we do is we dishonor the Holy Spirit by putting him in the back room because nobody's going to get saved without the Holy Spirit drawing them unto himself. Paul didn't shut down the church at Corinth. He corrected the church at Corinth. And so that's, you know, why you have a pastor. If something's weird and over the boundary, what pastor does is, that's weird and over the boundary. What I say? I mean, that's how it works. Because you know what? We, got, we, we, have, we, we have to quit trying to market God. He's been dealing with his own public relations now for thousands of years. He's still around. The rest of us who've been trying to control it have died and gone on. So we've got to understand with the Holy Spirit, there will be occasion. We don't, we don't foster it. We don't engender it. We're not trying to do it. But i got to say, there can be moments unusual things could happen. That's why when you come to church, you never know what could happen. Second reason, there's the challenge of tradition. Why do people get twisted over the present work of the Holy Spirit? Because it challenges their religion. Any, any aspect of dead religion in you is going to get challenged when the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, there are some traditions that are in order. For instance, we'll baptize people here in a few weeks. That's a tradition. It's in the Scripture. We do these things. We, we, we receive communion. Although, can I just share this with you? It was becoming so familiar in our congregation, I've held off some because I want to knock the familiarity out of some of these things so it doesn't become dead ritual to us. Because dead ritual is not what this is all about. Religion is not what this is all about. People do things out of habit and tradition. And um, it, 
circumvents a relationship that they need to have with God. And you have relationship with the Lord through the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, those people in the upper room challenged the religious exercise of the temple. It ended up getting them flogged. You heard me tell the story in our own city when Whitfield came to our city, Charleston, during the First Great Awakening, uh, there about in, in the early, mid-1700s. You understand that, that he was preaching an awakening. The Holy Spirit was using him all over the eastern seaboard. And in Charleston, we loved it so much, we threw him in jail. No, I'll go back. The Anglicans threw him in jail. Now, I've often wondered, and I'm not one, but I've often wondered if a part of renewal to our city is when there's a humility that says, we were wrong. I just throw that one out there. I tell you, you just I'm an equal opportunity offender. See, if you honor the Holy Spirit, you're going to irritate other people who say or may say they love God. The life of God always irritates that which is dead. So don't be surprised. And then number three, I think we get twisted because of immature believers. There's been a lot of silly things that have gone on that have been justified by this phrase. The Spirit led me. And I've often wanted to say that, let me tell you, there was a Spirit that was leading you. I'm not sure that was the Holy Spirit. But that's what we do. We do whatever we want and we just tack on the phrase, you know, the Lord told me, the Spirit led me. Come on, don't dishonor God. We ought to be, we ought to be careful. Can, can God lead you? Certainly. Can the Holy Spirit lead you? Certainly. But if that comes out of your mouth, you better be sure it's just not your little catchphrase you use to do what you want. I remember, I, I just, this just popped into my mind, um, I'm, I, you know, those of you that are around these circles, some of you may have heard this, but there was a phenomenon that was happening about gold dust. Do you remember that? I never was too big on the gold dust move of God. Number one is I didn't see it. I mean, if, if I could have found an instance, I probably would have said, okay, I mean, that's great. The problem was we had this, we had this gold dust manifesting in some of our churches, but we weren't smart enough to get the vacuum cleaner out. So we get all wound up. Oh, gold dust, gold dust. Well, if it was, then go collect it and turn it in. Silliness. Silliness. Here's what we need. I put it on the screen. Power plus character equals credible. That's what we foster. Power, yes. Character, yes. Equals credible. Now, we're just setting the stage for studying so many things these next few weeks. And what we can do to receive all that he has for us, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you these things quickly and we'll conclude as to how we can begin to approach all of this. And this is the, this is the attitude I want you to begin to facilitate inside of you. If you really want God to move in your life, if you want God to do miracles in your life, if you want God to show up and just do over-the-top stuff. If you want him to do, yes, financial things and healing things and deliverance things and, and relationship things. And, and if you just want God to move big time in your life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just several quick things I want you to begin to foster. Well, you should be doing it now. If you're not, you can get started. And then you should foster these things for the rest. If Jesus tarries the rest of your life. All right? Number one, foster humility humility. 
I'm going to share this with you. I believe, see, I'm a spirit-filled, I, I, I testify, I'm a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, I like to use that phrase, spirit-empowered pastor. And I'm just going to say this, but, but, but hear the whole thing. I believe I'm right. <laughs> I believe I'm right scripturally. I believe I'm right historically. I believe I'm right theologically. And I believe I'm right experientially and practically but having said all of those things, I find myself on more occasions than I can count having to yield to other believers and having to yield even to other churches. When I go to larger venues that include Christians across the theological spectrum, sometimes I find myself yielding. I didn't like that for years. I used to say to myself, why am I, why am I the one always yielding? Why is it when I go to a ministerial association meeting and everybody's there, you know, you got your Methodist, your Baptist, your Presbyterians, and here I am, your lonely Pentecostal type pastor in here, and they all want to pray. And when you start praying, they don't want to hear, they don't want to hear your other language. Why am I the one that, how do I always have to yield? And then why is it, listen, I'll go so far as to say this, why is it when you have a preponderance of charismatic pastors and you have a few that may not be within that construct doctrinally come in, we feel like we have to yield in order for that to feel right to them. Now, I used to get really kind of irritated with that. My feeling was, if you don't like me praying in tongues, then put your fingers in your ears. I mean, that was kind of my feeling. I mean, now, I understand if that's where you're at. I get that. I Because I, I I've been there myself before. But I've reconciled it this way. At times, to walk in great power will take walking in even greater humility. Humility is about at times yielding. Humility is about at times not acting like you know it all. Humility is when you know more than the one who's talking the most and you keep your mouth shut. Humility is when you smile and just say, you may be right. I understand. Can I just share this with you? I just, I just feel like spirit-empowered life, when it happens, doesn't take me having to hit everybody over the head in the flesh. It just takes me living my life. There was a young boy that was misbehaving, and his mom got upset with him and finally sent him to his room. And she said, I want you to go to your room. I want you to pray and ask the Lord to help you about your behavior. It's just been terrible. And so I want you to go before the Lord. I want you to pray, pray to God. And I want you to listen to what the Lord might say to you about your behavior. It's been wrong. I don't want you to come back until you've heard from God. And so he was up there for a little bit, came back down. Mom looked at him and said, did you pray? He said, yes, mom, I did. She said, did you ask God to help you from misbehaving? He said, no, no, I asked him to help you put up with me. Sometimes that's how we've act. We, 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 you know, a little humility can go a long way. Probably did that day for that young man. Foster humility. We've got to have humility. You know, just because I found this through the years, just because you talk in tongues doesn't necessarily make you more mature than anyone else. Pete, I, I'll get back to this, but Peter was still prejudiced even after the day of Pentecost. He, he, he didn't want to deal with the Gentile issue. He thought because the Gentiles didn't look like him, Therefore, they couldn't be saved like him. He was still full of his prejudice even after he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you right now, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and you can be functionally immature. 
That is not that's not the sign of your maturity. Now, I believe it's an important aspect of a believer's life. But that's why I go back to the equation. Power plus character equals credibility. So we got to foster a little humility here. Number two, we always exalt Jesus. The Holy Spirit's all about exalting Jesus. Jesus wants us to be empowered to do his great mandate in the earth. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, and we'll get back to this passage in another week. He said that you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, both locally and globally. So we need to understand that the power of the Holy Spirit isn't for us to sit around and be a bless me club. And we read each other's mail. We prophesy to one another. These things certainly happen. But the bottom line is, is if we have the Holy Spirit, then we ought to be making a dent in the kingdom of darkness. That's what he's about. And it exalts Jesus. Everything about him is about reaching people. The gifts are not even, I believe, just for us to use with each other. I believe that the gifts of God supernaturally ought to manifest in your life out there in order to arrest the attention of a watching world. Evangelism. Exalting Jesus. Getting in his mandate. Number three. What can we begin to do? Demonstrate fruit. The Holy Spirit is just what his name says. Holy. If the Holy Spirit is working in you, then there's going to be holiness. Holy Spirit. Holiness. I got it. Nobody's perfect. But, but, he, but what he's going to do is he's going to clean up the pig pan. And he's going to turn it into a temple. Holiness. Demonstrate fruit. Character. Purity. Gentleness, kindness, love, faith, peace, fruit of the Spirit. People were indeed amazed at the early disciples as they spread the word through the power of the Holy Spirit. But do you understand that the longevity of the early church and the longevity of any church is not rooted in its gifts, it's rooted in its fruit? Is it bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? We've got to demonstrate fruit. You want people to be touched by the Spirit of God? then you begin living in such a way that it shows the Holy Spirit's in charge. He's not just a resident, he's the president. Number four, you've got to understand that there's controversy. If there has always been controversy surrounding the Holy Spirit, even from Jesus' day, all through history, even today, then I need to reconcile it in my heart that people not appreciate my affection for the Spirit of God moving in my life. You know what? I, you used to bug me. This used to bother me, but it doesn't bother me. It's amazing. The older I get, this really is true. The older you get, the less you give a flip. Isn't that true? You get older. Isn't it true when you're older? Just watch some of you that are younger. All you young ladies here, just watch older people. They'll go, they'll go to parties and things like that, and you'll go, oh, my God, this, this grandma's there. She'll say anything. It's because they don't give a flip anymore. What are they going to do? They're, they're, they got one foot in the grave. Like, what are you going to do to me? I'm getting there. I'm not that old, but I'm getting there. To the place where I don't care. I'm in a mall. What are you going to do to me? Take away my building? I don't have one. I, I think there's a, an appropriate place. You know, we all want to, you know, church needs to engender a sense of friendliness. And, we, and by the way, I might say, as long as I said that, y'all do a great job with that. Thank you very much. You're friendly. You're inviting. You're kind. All these things are fruits of the Spirit. That's true. But there's, there, there ought to be, I think, a place where there ought to be a cost 
to go to the church you go to. A stigma. Yeah, I do. What's the big deal that you do what two billion people do every Sunday? Two billion people, I'm told, say they're Christian. It's not that big a deal in some circles. Everybody got up on Easter. It wasn't any big deal to go to church on Easter. But man, getting up and going to church and then standing up for 30 minutes and praising God and maybe getting out of your seat to go down front and going for healing and, and, and there may be a language I don't understand. I, yeah. Why not? I, 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 I think there should be some, some stigma that's associated with it. There's no stigma anymore. You can say you're Christian and you can wiggle your tush and sing rotten songs and get on the world stage and do things that are blasphemous and everybody claps for you and then they'll, oh yeah, and you know they're saved. No, they're not. So I think there ought to be a little stigma. Hey, I figure, I, you know, I just watch the world and the things they do. I saw this the other day. I saw a baseball player have his bat, and he put this little triangle over his bat. And he did this little hocus-pocus thing on his bat in order that he could raise his batting average. And they call me weird. See, there's a place that you're going to get to where what's weird anymore? Come on, look at just look at a generation and look at what they do. I'm not I feel very liberated. See, I don't think the things of God are neutral. There's no new there's not a neutral atom in the universe. I'll say that again. There's not a neutral atom in the universe. It either gives glory to God or it's a child or a substance of the enemy. There's no neutral. You know, Bob Dylan isn't a great theologian, but he was right when he said, you may serve the devil or you may serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Every atom in the universe, there's nothing neutral. I'm not neutral. Everything in me just, just is going to go all out. And you need to understand that the things of God in church is not neutral. The minute it becomes neutral, it becomes tepid and lukewarm. And God says to that end time church, I will spew you out of my mouth. The things of God, hear me now, they will either attract, and they do attract many people. They will rest their attention. They, 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 they are captivated by what God could do. But for some people, it will alienate. Listen to me, the cross. The cross will attract some, and it will alienate some. Paul said, to the Jews it was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, to the Greeks it's a, an offense. But he said, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So give me the cross. It attracts or it can detract. It's a part of living for the Lord. Some people are going to love you. Some people don't want anything to do with you. It's going to happen in your own family tree. Some will embrace you. Some don't want anything to do with you. Some of them will catch on along the way. But you just got to live this way. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Don't quote the Bible, Pastor. You're messing me up. There are going to be moments in your life that just your very existence and desire for the things of God, you didn't start it, you didn't want it, you, you weren't looking to do it, it just starts a controversy. I remember being, this is years and years and years ago, I was on vacation, a family vacation, with a lot of people in the family tree, and I just wanted to pray grace over the meal before we ate it. 
and it started the biggest hubbub you've ever seen. Just to say the prayer before you eat your food, I'm trying to keep you from getting indigestion. But no, it causes controversy. I didn't wake up in the morning and say to myself, oh, I'm going to pray this morning over my food and we're going to see what we can stir up on the only vacation I get this year. Oh, yes, that was my whole plan. You just, you just do what you do and watch. Then finally, number five, and this really is it. You got to remain confident. You know, my agenda is not to be the weirdest. I don't know of a single person, including myself, that doesn't like being liked. Does anybody here really, really like being despised? Because I have cards for professional therapy for you. Because I, you know, if you like, if you like being despised, there's something. All of us, all of us want to be liked. All of us want to be accepted. But given the choice between the acceptance of man or the power of the spirit, I'll take the dynamite, thank you. So there comes a moment you've got to remain confident because the only person you have to please, Paul said this, he says, I'm not a man pleaser. I keep my eyes toward him. I'm a God pleaser. I'm a God pleaser. Now I understand. I understand. Now, I, I, I see through a glass darkly. I get that. I'm, I'm not the last say on every issue that comes along. I understand that. I understand that I, I, I see through a glass darkly, as the scripture says. So I don't know everything. I'm sure there's much more that I need to know, that I need to learn. I'm sure there's issues of attitude, issues of some character that probably still need refined. I, you know, I'll be the first one to put myself out there and say, believe me, I understand that, that I am not all of that. I'll say with my Lord, I can do nothing except with him. But having said that, can I say this too? Yeah, I'm a Pentecostal pastor. And I'm cool with that. I believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I don't apologize for that. I don't make excuses for them. I don't put them in the back closet. I'm not going to wait for you to show up some Wednesday night so you can meet them. Right here, Sunday morning, I want you to know I honor the Holy Spirit in this place. Sure, we keep order. There's always divine order. Anybody that's gone to legacy for any amount of time understands there's order in this house. But having said that, it's the Spirit of God's order. It's an order that honors Him. And you know what? That's, that's who we are. That's where we are. And I believe that's a part of our niche for kingdom service in our city. It's not to say anyone else is doing it wrong. They're doing what God's called them to do. And we can bless that. Say, Lord, prosper them. They're doing a work. They're responding to you. I accept that. Bless them. But that's who we are. We're this bunch. We'll get the spiritual language. And I'll just tell you this right now. I, I did just jump off the turnip truck yesterday. I wasn't selling used cars and then decided to go into the ministry. All right? You don't have to check your brain out at the door in order to speak the language of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do that. And we'll probably touch on that before this is over. Because you see, it's power 
plus character equals credible. This is what Jesus said. He said, you'll love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your what? Your mind and all of your strength. So, I, I, you know what? I give him all of my mind and I want to be, be smart in him. I give him all of my strength, which means when I worship, I'm going to passionately lift my hands and worship him. I'm going to give him my soul, which means in my emotions and in everything that's going on in my soul area, I am in hot pursuit after the Lord. Everything I am, it's his. Everything is his. And I believe that is why when this whole thing wraps up, I believe it's going to be that kind of person that the world looks to and says, you know what? I, I, we, can't, we can't disregard you. We understand. You understand not only in a worldly way things, but you understand and have insight into godly ways. Folks, that's what God's doing. Yes, he uses fishermen like Peter. And he uses doctors like Luke. And he uses seminary graduates like Paul. He'll use anybody no matter where you come from, no matter what's in your background. He'll use anybody in order to get his work done. Isn't that good news? Now, that really is good news because that means everybody in this room can be filled with explosive power. I hope you want that. Amen. Stand with me, will you?